Welcome everybody to the Mid Curve Podcast. This is your, I guess, I guess, bi-monthly, bi-weekly, semi, semi-available podcast about the world of crypto NFT from uh, Mid Curve, a group of traders, degenerates, and all-around weirdo people who like to talk about this stuff. Um, my name is Funky Donk, also IRL. My name is Gavin Purcell. I am a formerly a person in media business, kind of in that business still. Um, do a lot of work uh, under my pseudonym Funky Donk for um, overpriced JPEGs, the Web3 brand, and also then do other stuff too. Uh, so that's me. Uh, Eric, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, guys. It's uh, Eric, uh, former uh, chat by weirdo, now full-time uh, crypto weirdo. Okay, uh, Grant, what about you? Uh, hey guys, my name is Grant, uh, background in consulting. And uh, two years ago, I made the grave mistake of playing around with internet tokens. And here I am. <laughs> okay, great. And Sadie, how about yourself? I am a concurrent TradFi and crypto weirdo. Um, work in private equity. Great. Okay, so that is us. Uh, it has been an, an extremely eventful couple weeks, week and a half in especially the NFT space, but we'll also get into some uh, crypto talk today. I think we probably need to start with, <laughs> with the NFT market, which is so um, annoyingly hard to kind of fully understand what's going on because uh, there was a huge dump, obviously, coming off of the Azuki Elementals Mint. I mean, everybody I think who listens to this podcast is very familiar with it. Actually, I do. But there's one person I think that I would love to hear their thoughts on uh, about this whole thing and kind of where Azuki sits now, and that is Grant, who is part of the Spirit DAO. And you can either speak for the Spirit DAO or you can speak freely. I don't know how you guys deal with that sort of world, but Grant, where where do you feel? Azuki sits now and kind of like, do you find that they have like kind of pulled themselves up out of that mess? Uh, first off, I speak only for myself and barely myself. Uh, <laughs> mistakes were made, I think, both in terms of like the pre launch communication as well as the actual execution and uh although opinions are divided i personally think some of the post launch communication also wasn't great uh, although it looks like in recent days they've gotten down the hatches and figured out what the tone needs to be but i think net net it's just you know an already kind of drained ecosystem got a lot less liquid uh and kind of the the belief system i've talked i think at length on this pod about kind of Suspension of this belief in that whole concept, but I think a lot of people's illusions shattered uh, because that project was one of the ones that you know few people really believed in, right? And now there's almost almost nothing left uh, to grasp onto, uh, and so once again, illusions become shattered and pe people become more cynical, and this is all part of um, the bottoming process, I think, uh, for most risk yeah. markets. Yeah, I think that all makes sense to me. I think. I think the thing that really, and, and, and I think the one important thing to know, and I mean, everybody, again, who's listening to this podcast knows this, but when the Azuki Mint did not go very well, and then there was a little bit of that, you know, the, from the Discord AMA, where there's a little bump and then it came out of it, and then a lot of FUD coming out of different places on Twitter, out of the, um, there was a pretty big thread that supposedly was shared amongst uh, uh, Chinese crypto Twitter, or, or I'm not sure which, I think it was Chinese crypto Twitter about one of the whales who had really felt bad and, and, and wronged. All this to say that there was this kind of major dump over the weekend, which then kind of like spread across a ton of other projects, which I think to your point, Grant, is really about the idea that we all kind of felt especially came in, coming off of that event that Azuki had their shit together, right? That this, that this project felt like one of the ones you could trust. It felt like that they could really get something interesting out. Um, one of the things that I've kind of been shocked by, because I, I haven't been part of the Azuki ecosystem for quite a while, I was at one point, um, was I didn't realize that they hadn't shared like previews of the stuff at all. And I didn't realize it was a thing. I mean, Eric, you were also an Azuki holder and you were kind of in the middle of this. And I know... I watched your kind of like take on this evolve in real time as it went down in our discord. Like where, where do you land right now? And kind of like, where do you see this project going forward? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to Grant's point, I, I think like it just fully puncture the illusion of competency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is, I feel like a bigger issue across most Web3 projects is that, you know, your monetization lever is to really create like anticipation and hype and speculation, but the actual substance, it often, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. And this is not strictly limited to Azubia. I would say this, this broadly applies to pretty much everything in the ecosystem. Um, and I, I, I think like this was just a really big reminder of that out of what is a what was a pretty inopportune time for the market you know coming into this it, it was already things were already very sensitive because we had a pretty nasty cascading liquidation of of board apes that was yeah you know, that that were just obviously <laughs> that process was accelerated um i think we we were in a situation where machi and some of the airdrop farmers were still back holding a lot of assets and just kind of dumping them into a no demand zone, uh, right? And so this was kind of like, you know, inadvertently, whether intentionally or unintentionally, like a lot was pinned on this moment because other projects had planned to make announcements after the fact to, to basically ride on the momentum of, of, of whatever Azuki's were doing, right? And, and obviously like the exact opposite thing happened yeah. Um, and you saw basically Meanland and Dbots just soft push like whatever they were going to announce to the right because they didn't really like want to get caught in in just the smoking crater of this. Um, and so I think like you know obviously that's the impact from an ecosystem perspective, but like from a, on on a project level, I think I think like for the you know because there were no previews, um, and the mint process was horribly executed. I think things were already like very, very tense because you had this situation where a lot of OGs could not mint um, because the website was rate limited. Um, you know, they delayed the claims for in-contract assets until basically after the mint. Um, and that, you know, that was something that I think a lot of people were also waiting on. Um, so like, you know, people like, I think like people were already like, okay, okay, this is the art is gonna be good. The art is gonna be good. Um, and I think a part of the issue with like doing a gacha collection is that you don't get to see everything at once. So, so it's actually, it takes time to actually make a, make an assessment or judgment on like, you know, whatever it is, uh, whatever the collection looks like. Right. Um, and so initially when the first couple of, couple of, you know, PFPs revealed, it was all floors. They look very similar to the OG collection. And I think that just from the outset, it just completely put the project on the wrong foot. Um, and every, you know, all of sort of the, the, the satisfaction, the animus and, and the, the anxiety coming into the reveal, you know, exploded, right? And you just had this massive storm of thought of people complaining, you know, guys like dumping their stuff, abandoning the ecosystem, um, big longtime holders feeling betrayed by the team. Uh, right. And then, and then, you know, we kind of had a temporary retreat because they said, oh, we're going to do a basis and address the issue. Um, you know, which did not help at all because I don't think there was adequate prep on the comps. Um, I think, you know, this citing location, citing his inspiration for, it was very clear that he was not prepped at all because his, his answer basically boiled down to like, I didn't think about any of the implications with the review, with the randomness, with the rarity. Oh, by the way, you know, I, I was just trying to recreate top shots. Which, which for any like long time like NFT enthusiast is is the last <laughs> thing you want to hear, um, and I I think that just like really really um, kind of further made the exacerbated the situation, right? And so so it was just I think it was just like a very emotional response. Everyone yanked liquidity, um, and then we had this massive deleveraging process occur across the ecosystem, which which got us you know. To the bottom like what what was what was at the time is what is at the time the bottom right so now i can i think like we're just on this recovery process you know the team is obviously pivoting and trying to kind of accelerate the next part of the roadmap um but i i i think like it this is you know this will take time to heal and it it just it kind of very very much fits into that the overall that that fact pattern i mentioned that like generally speaking the 
projects so far in the space, even the big ones, have just been thoroughly unimpressive. You know, because yeah, cause while, by by the way, while this is happening, right? Like we had Yuga announce their uh, heavy metal, um, yeah. which I think had a very overall like a pretty mixed response. Yeah, I would even say mixed to negative in, in general. Yeah, like I, um, I, we had the meme land reveal, you know, and and basically it, it the the quote unquote famous artist that they've been teasing um, <laughs> was basically someone that was responsible for the localization of Digimon in the nineties that you know ray couldn't even remember the name of when he was on the spaces talking about it um right and so so it kind of just I, I think it's just like there's still like way too much bait and switch um and 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 creators complain about building in public because they generally are not good at building period uh and you know and it, and it, there's a lot of deflection into you know other market forces that really aren't relevant considerations into a wider project is failing, right? And, yeah. and so, you know, I, I think like the, the one silver lining of this is that, the two, well, the two good things is that one, we took a lot of leverage out, which is always great. Um, I, think, I think it gets us like to the reset point faster. And two, like the implosion was so atrocious across the space that like people from shitcoins and DeFi actually like, one by to look at the look at the, like the carnage to and that watch was the probably, carnage that was probably the first time like the nft space had like outside visibility in like forever well what's interesting to me about that when we say that is it it did feel like you know in the past like all the the elements of when the nft bags are going down generally it's been triggered by ftx or by something else or like shit coins are, blo are blowing up and everybody moves their money into there and this time it was like, oh, the whole NFT space is blowing up because of these like like things. I think I think just to to echo a couple of your points there, I think that are really important. One is um, Azuki uh, feels and felt like to a lot of people like a kind of like a pinnacle of what was possible, and that this moment of like, it's almost like we've all been feeling that like is every project in this in this space idiotic and this was like one of the projects like oh no azuki can't be idiotic azuki knows what they're doing they've look at that brand deal they just did look at look at that las vegas event they really know what they're doing and then to have it come off ultimately what i would say is just so half-assed like to me the problem i have with this is you had a year over a year before between this and the beans mint uh beans reveal and the idea that like this is the thing and and by the way even if this is going to be the art Fair enough. I totally get it. And I, I will say, and I've talked about this in the Discord, and, and I think Eric, you agree, and I think probably Grant does too, but and Sadie as well. I'll come to you in a second. The art is great, right? That Steam Boy is a great artist. And I think that the the actual stuff that is coming out that's getting revealed is really solid. And I would say almost better than the OGs, a lot of them, which is good. That's what an artist should do. They should get better over time. But it just felt like it was just like, what are you guys doing? Do you not understand? anything about your market like have you been paying attention to the people who actually buy the stuff that you do or have you just been like going into the back room and spending your money or or doing whatever living a life that's outside of this space and and it makes me angry as somebody who spends my time in this space because like look my bags are way down of course and i have families and all those other things i would love to spend time with or all these other jobs i'm doing but like I get angry that like I know what they should have done. And like I'm not I'm not running a, a hundred million dollar project, but like if you had put me in the room with those guys and they showed this to me, I could have said, like, oh, here's here you go, guys. Here's this is the problem. They're supposed to be the smart ones. And this is just it's so frustrating. Um, I don't know. Sadie, are you a holder of Azuki? Are you are you holding any any Azuki itself? Uh no. I sold during the original FUD. Right. Me too. Me too. And the reason I sold was not because uh, he rugged. I'm not that fussed about that. Um, the reason I sold was because it illuminated the fact that he had just gotten lucky. Interesting. And, and so I think there's this sense that like its success was on purpose for Zuki, but the fact that he had all these other projects, it, it was somewhat strategic, I think, that he framed that as FUD around the fact that he had soft rugged. The soft rugging was not the problem. The problem was the the, the kind of brain prey. By the way, I said, speaking of that, somebody just showed me, which I'd never seen, the art for tendies. Have you seen the tendies art before? Yeah. 
Oh, it I had never seen it. I don't know how I'd never seen it, but good lord, it's it's almost as bad as the Cumberverse art, which if you haven't seen the Cumberverse, it's now my favorite project. Go look it up. Cumberverse.e. Sorry, go ahead, Sadie. Keep keep going. No, I think it's like the the irony is that everyone thinks they're investing in something that's on the come when in reality they're investing in the hype generated by each other. And so being able to predict when that will be generated and when it will go away is how you succeed in this space. And it's unfortunate, right? Because you just want to invest in the thing. But unfortunately, because the thing is largely uh, devoid of substance, you have to invest in other people's perception <laughs> of the thing. Or the people, right? Or the people. And that or, is no, a I'm perception not, I, like, well. and I think the people are largely devoid of substance, right? Yes. So you have yeah. to invest in, in everyone else. You have to invest in the hype. And then you have to not believe it. And, and that's like fundamentally unfortunate and like to some degree heartbreaking and jading right um right and and so i think this was like a to some degree i think this was like the ultimate uh impact of that earlier flood for people realizing kind of what it was which was which was not around a rug it was just the fact that they had accidentally been successful rather than on purpose mm, that's interesting eric what were you gonna say they lucked into probably like the uh, great artists, you know, what oh, carried, yeah, sure. always carried Azuki is, is actually the PFP art there. It's easily identifiable. You know, you have very, very standout trays, just a lot of diversity across the collection. Right. And, and so it's noticeable. Um, and that wasn't enough to kind of bootstrap like this very, very strong community with, with a lot of whales in it because they all liked it. And so I think this is kind of really unfortunate because, you know, Simple put like a year into this collection and it, it actually like when you look at the in, it, in its fullness and now we have enough assets revealed to really evaluate it, it's great, right? Um, and I, but, I, and I feel, but I feel like it's just been completely marred by like just, totally botched delivery um and i i think it just this just comes down to like you know the fine points of the execution i think like the relative immaturity and experience of inexperience of of, of that team that wasn't really confident enough to just have the, like the product stand on its own because yeah because i i think that the, the uh, unfortunately like they weren't promising gaming they weren't gonna we all knew they were not gonna promise a coin everyone knew that they were going to do a new collection and announce it and and the market wanted it right and and so you know how you how you really position yourself going into that is, is that's what makes a difference between like what we have now towards like what could have been like you know just a dimensionally better executed event so you know it it, it, it sucks because i think like there are people within the ecosystem that have a lot more invested than we do um, and I think have to like actually try to build off of the IP in different ways. So it it just, you know, it they always say like this is supposed to be a decentralized luxury brand, but like you really can't, you know, you, you you can't do this stuff because it's it just really undercuts your ecosystem build, system builders and supporters. And that's not the way to do this. I mean, ultimately all you want is to believe that the people who are running the project you're invested in have a vision, right? Yeah. And when that glass shatters, it doesn't come back. Yeah. Although the argument with the Zuki would be is that it shattered once already with the thing from before, right? Like, so maybe... Disagree. So my, so? I would argue okay. that the execution was so important here mm. because mm. it was the next thing. Right. right. So that they had sense. one really yeah. successful reveal. And this question of was he was he successful accidentally or on purpose was an open question. Right. I see what you're saying. So this was like the kind of proof is in the pudding moment. And this and was so much like the execution here was so much more important than in any just standard project. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, and, and it's just it's just like it, the only reason that this is not at like a 0.5 floor is because the PFPs themselves are really, really good. Because yeah. through the entire process, you have really, really steady volume above the floor on mid-rares, which you, you basically do not see in any other project right now. So so you actually like you're actually seeing people like reveal the assets and actually go buy what they like, despite everything else. Um, and so that that kind of just tells you that like what the underlying thing actually resonates with the the targeted community, but it just, you know. 
you go out there and you're like, yeah, I'm not at up top shots. I really didn't think about probability distributions on reveals or like for, you know, for the, for the bean airdrop or my, or like the reveals and I completely fucked over my big whales. Like you just, just what do you say to that? Like that's, 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 you know, that's just bad. So <laughs> it's pretty you, bad. You, you, you like it's, it's, and, and like, they had like two days to prep for this and that's what we got. And I think, well, I that's think okay. That's Here's like another question hurting. I have. And, and I don't know, maybe Grant, you can, if you've gotten some sort of like some sort of other information or heard something, cause I may have missed it, but like, why did the reveal have to be so quick after the mint? Was it always the idea that they were going to, I mean, obviously it wouldn't have made a difference, I guess, but it just felt like it was all going super fast where the beans took like a really long time to reveal. And I'm just wondering, like, do we have any sense of why that was the way this time? Was it any sort of idea? I think reveals reveal was fine. Like trading intentionally didn't start until reveal happened, which I think is actually more responsible. Uh, you know, like not farming royalties without having seen the art in itself. It was just like the mint timing. Uh, you know, 10 minutes for Azuki holders and 10 minutes for Beans holders, I think it belied um, essentially, you know, lack of confidence and, and insecurity in, in their own abilities. Yeah, right? do you think, because, it, do they think they weren't going to sell it out? Is that why they did it so quickly? Well, I think what I said already answered that, that question. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, fine. I think, fine. You know, there are two things that, that stand out to me uh, from, well, you know, being a holder for a couple of years and having attended uh, the Vegas event, I think the art is elite and the uh, the real life event execution is, is superb, right? Like those two things will forever stand out to me regardless of, you know, the eventual fate of the project, which for most is almost always zero. Um, but I think leadership this time definitely got things wrong, right? Because what saved them last summer Beyond the rationalization of, oh, you know, he didn't fuck up the execution of Azuki, he fucked up the execution of older projects with much less thought and planning, was that, you know, Wales truly believed in him, right? Like, right. people like Andrew Kang and others I won't name check, like, doubled and tripled down, and they saved it, right? And during a period where no one else wanted to buy, and, you know, there, it was also equally in a, a period of relative illiquidity, right? And, and this time, the... Basically, the RNG behind, um, you know, what holders of rare Azukis would get was completely out of whack with what they had invested in the ecosystem. And that was, that had more to do, I think, with the price than anything else, than the stupid shit about, you know, humans being in, in the V2 art, right? Because that, that can be kind of be explained away in, in the lore or or whatever the, whatever else that you can come up with, right? It was basically not rewarding your strongest supporters and, and the right. ones who have pulled out the checkbooks uh, for the past year, essentially saving your ass. So, I mean, I think last thing I'll say is I think the market knows and everyone knows that this is the last chance for them. Uh, and they're truly lucky because I don't think many projects get more than one look, let alone two or yeah. three. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of, you know, liquidity wise and market dynamics wise is like one thing. I think that's cyclical. Uh, but I do think like this, like, the V1 or the first age of uh, major NFT founders have completely failed. Uh, that yeah. which is undoubtedly true. Yeah, I mean, I can't. It, it, it's funny. I was thinking. We're, I don't really feel like we need to talk about Yuga that much. But like, the interesting thing about Yuga is Yuga succeeded, obviously, in a different in a different market. But like. The one thing I will say that you got like the beginning of this year, it kind of felt like there was a little bit of like saw a little bit of like uh, juice coming back from the Dookie Dash stuff, whether or not you like Dookie Dash. But I was thinking about the fact that Gordon is gone now, right? And I think that Gordon is somebody who, you know, I'm not saying that they're a perfect team in any sort of way. And Gargamel is obviously still, still there, but like the you got had executed relatively well up until that point. And, you know, the heavy metal drop, I think, mostly starts to feel like, if anything, a little just kind of bland. And I think this is, we're, we're in a place where I don't know if there's a good founder. I, this is actually a good transition to talk about meme land, because I think to Eric's point from earlier, there was definitely some, some kind of promises made around the artist for the meme land art, and clearly it's not that. I will say, I'm 
pretty i admire what ray is trying to do here with what this is and i know in general my initial reaction to like make your own trait nfts is like oh lord i've been burned on so many of these they're just not worth it none they're never worth they never stay value wise never trade the thing i think it's important for people to know and again people who listen to this podcast are probably pretty familiar with it but i really do like the idea of starting to think of and maybe it's not for all NFTs, but there is a world where trait viable traits is a really interesting idea that I don't think has been done, at least at the level that they're trying to do it at with Meme Land. And if the meme drop works, if if meme doesn't completely crash, it actually could drive a really interesting use case for an NFT token. In that, if if you pull a rare of any of any uh, specific collection and you suddenly have a thing that's worth hundred ETH, that's amazing. How lucky are you? You know, you sell it uh, and you get this hundred ETH. That's great. Obviously, the chance that you get that is pretty is pretty low. Now, the benefit of like if you were able to get either from a, some sort of weird raffle everybody gets into, or you could buy like the way I've been thinking of it is like you know the meme land crown. And if you bought the meme land crown and you could put that on your character, and the crown itself is worth twenty five ETH, it is a sellable asset that you can hold, but you can also social signal by owning it. There's something really interesting to me about that idea as kind of the evolution of where we go from NFTs. And it reminds me a lot of like uh, CSGO skins or things that are actual tradable stuff that doesn't mean you're trading your entire identity in some way. Um, uh, uh, Sadie, what, what are, are you up on the meme land ecosystem or the meme land idea? Have you been following it? A little. I just think if you put it on the flow blockchain, that would really yeah. <laughs> that would really what, make it good. That would really that, make yeah. it good. That's what it's missing. You've got to run it back top shot style. Top shot style, doodles two or whatever. Like I think if we're gonna go tradable trades, like let's go all in and just go centralized yeah. blockchain. The difference to me about okay, let me before we move on, the difference to me between obviously doodles and meme land are, are in some ways it's a similar thing. Obviously the flow thing is a big issue. I honestly think the difference here is the token. And I know this sounds old school and weird, but I think there is a flywheel that I can see that a token plus this kind of mechanic could be an interesting use case. You know what I mean? Like there could be something interesting around the idea of a, a real thing that a token could be spent on that's directly connected back to the project. Like even with apes, the only thing you can really buy use for ApeCoin right now and really spend ApeCoin on is, you know, uh, entrance into uh, Dookie Dash or Heavy Metal. There's not a lot of other places to use it. Hang on, let's just roll it back a little bit, right? Because because it's it's this is not unique. And no, and yeah. So because so, because when they when Ape originally launched, the promise was like we're gonna have this vibrant gaming ecosystem, right? And and Ape will be the currency that backstops that gaming ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to build like the Unity style SDK that other builders can build on, uh, and then you know the, the transactional currency across that entire platform is going to be based on Ape. It's it's just you know, and and so I think like Meme what Meme is trying to do is they're actually they're, what they're trying to do that, but I think in a more like realistic setting, which is we're going to do trades. Um, we're going to do collabs and have artists come in, and you'll have composability across the trades on your avatar. Um, and and meme will be sort of the back end currency for 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 that, which I think is a good idea. Which which is even more infuriating to me that that you know he thought he had to couch it in like oh we have like a famous artist right, right. And, and again right. this kind of goes back to like the lack of confidence um, yeah which which I like I don't rate you know given his experience in Web two he can't really play the inexperience card. Um, yeah. And so, so it's just like, if that's what it is, just say that's what it is. Don't couch it in like mystery or speculation and kind of just like build it. Like, you know, just say, I'm going to do this. It's going to be fucking good and you're going to like it. Um, and so, you know, that's it. Like, you don't, you don't kind of have to do like this, this weird bait and switch, like, you know, carnival show like that. That's an, at the end of the day, like only sets you up for disappointment. Yeah, right? because yeah. because then people initially see the art, and it's just like, well, this is not great. And then they have to like spend their own time to digest. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, I think it's just like, it's just like, dude, like, and then he goes out. He's like, oh, you know, I wish like people cared more about royalties because the royalties are free greater. Um, and it's just again, like, I just, 
what are these founders like smoking? You know, like, dude, like we, the, the, the community backstops your, your initial mint. We give you 10,000 ETH on the captain's mint, which is, which is backstop funding that's automatically subordinate to the actual seed financing that you, you already raised, right? Um, and so, like, basically the community bears all of the risk with no recourse. And this applies to almost every other project, right? When, when shit fucks up, it's the large holders within community that really has to step up and keep things together. Right. And you're out here complaining, complaining because we didn't, you know, you didn't like it that that traders didn't want to pay your 9% transfer tax, like grow up, you know, it, it just is, it's just, this is just like, when I hear stuff like that, it's just like, do you actually care about your community or are you just, you know, similarly trying to extract value? And, and when you have actual investors and there's equity and you have to, ha you have a fiduciary duty to those parties like where where holders stack up is a, is a relevant question in that consideration and generally speaking holders holders are secondary oh for sure i think for sure they are and so you know that just like don't get on your soapbox and give me those bullshit just like do what you're supposed to do yeah that makes sense grant what about you what's your thoughts on on where meme land sits right now uh as a current holder no comment <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Speaking of which, as a current holder, I think meme will be great. Um, please buy meme; it will be so good. Um, I am also a current just holder. Give me a, just give me an exit, please. <laughs> I honestly, here's the here's the thing. I will say one last thing about uh, this on my own. City, I want to come back to you to see if you have thought on this, but um, I think the game Yuga comparison is slightly off, only because I think a lot of people at the time could have told you that that idea was bonkers in the time period that people thought it was going to happen. I think that the the idea of a game ecosystem that will be run on Ape is like, at the time it was announced, which was like right around the, whatever, the other side mint, which is over a year ago, is that that would have been, you know, multiple years away to get to the place where it'd be actually valuable. And I think we're seeing that pretty clearly at this point. And I think that that drives in part because games are so hard. The thing that's shocking to me about Yuga is now they brought in Daniel Legre, whatever, six months ago um, from Activision. And this heavy metal game, you know, I, I haven't played it, so I don't know, but I've seen enough about it. And it just seems like underwhelming. And my thought is, again, it's like, why, why, why are they making... Why can't they make an easy or or even license somebody else's engine and make like a good fun game and not have something feel like it's kind of it's not it's not fully baked and and maybe they're just trying to get product out and they're trying to keep the game going but it just is is a disappointing thing. Anyway, this is all a long way to say that games are really hard, right? Games are crazy hard. And I think at least with this there's a world where it's it's like you, the traits could be available like day one, and then they could continually, excuse me, you could roll them out over time. And there is a world I can see, knowing Ray and how Ray can kind of play this game, that it could actually work in an interesting way. It gives him it gives him the opportunity to continue to really roll the ball forward, which seems to be something he's very good at. Yeah, uh, I, I I so I don't doubt that at all. Right, I think I think he. Dude, that team is perfectly capable of executing so just execute like don't complain about royalties you right know, don't complain right. about royalties for your pfp speculate like just just enough of this like oh like we want holders not speculators illusion like that's yeah. just say what yeah. you want to say it yeah. right um it, it just i think i think that part of it is just like you know just just be just be upfront because your holders are already wearing warehousing so much risk yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Sadie, do you have a thought on this? Um, not really. I, I think I agree. I, I still think there's this tendency. I'm not sure if it's an honest tendency or if it's more of a kind of like maintaining the illusion tendency to just speak in language that implies that people are doing anything. <laughs> that always building. Like the reality is, right, people are just clipping the coupon and going about their other lives. Right, and right. And I think there's like a, I think there's like, again, slightly heartbreaking honesty in that. But I also think that if ultimately what shines through is the community and the art, you have a whole bunch of artists who dedicate their lives to the space. And if, you know, things go back in that direction, it's not the end of the world. Okay, that makes sense. Um, all right, we should, let's pivot over to 
what I'm just learning about, and I would love somebody to tell me, maybe Eric, you have the best sense of this right now. What is the, what is the most recent news around Binance? Uh, something around their lawyers all quitting at once? Is that, the, is, that the right, is that the right starting point? Pretty much most of, it seems like the, the senior execs on their, on their legal and compliance teams quit. Um, including you know Patrick Hillman, who has been who is one of the I guess one of like their top legal guys has been pretty vocal on Twitter. You know when the initial news broke, he basically came out and said, "Hey, like I'm at you know, I'm having a kid. I'm at that stage where just I need more personal time," which which is a pretty standard line for you know people when when they want to leave it when the situation gets bad, because to my knowledge, the other three executives that quit aren't having children at this point um and there is no upside in saying hey i'm leaving because i think like there's massive fraud and i don't want to be party to this anymore like that never never, never happens right and so the, there was a fortune article that basically broke the story uh, and within it you know one of the things they alluded to is a year-long doj investigation um that included looking at you know, how that like they were tricking um regulators uh, they were potentially involved in money laundering and also, you know, potentially like violating sanctions. And I think, I think that really like when, when the DOJ, um, uh, you know, enforcement action announcement, like when they do that press release, I think that's probably going to be like the meat of the announcement. Uh, and so the question is like, where do we go from there? Because, you know, and Sadie, Sadie can probably add more context because I think like, if that's what the DOJ has, then they have like a pretty good weapon to just de-bank and de-platform Binance globally. Globally or just in the States? Why globally? Well, whether it's, you know, whether it's within the States or outside of the States, usually when you're you know, dealing with transfers of US dollars or, you know, any, right. any foreign currency, or you're dealing with entities that want access to the US currency system and the US treasury system, um, that you gives it gives them an incredibly long reach in in terms of like enforcement action, right? right. Uh, and particularly, and, and this is particularly true if if sanctions violations are are involved and like they are proven to have aided you know in basically foreign sponsors of terrorism and just outright U.S. adversaries. Like that right. that gets pretty nasty, which is why you you don't ever want to be on the other side of something like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Hey, do Do you want to fill in? Yeah. What do you got? I agree with Eric. So the thing about money laundering and other um, OFAC and, and sort, of, sort of sanctioned entities is that um, lack of knowledge is not a defense. And so you are guilty if you interact with any of those entities, either directly or indirectly, which is the challenge with Tornado Cash when it got sanctioned, which is that, you know, if right. you're in a mixer, with a sanctioned entity, technically you're guilty by association um, mm. because you may have had some sort of economic interaction with that entity. It's it's, um, it's sometimes diplomacy based, sometimes treaty based, but the norm is that those are enforced pretty consistently, basically all over the world, but especially in the U.S. and Europe. And so, um, if Binance ultimately gets in that kind of trouble and not like securities sec trouble um it effectively deplatforms them globally because money flows are global and if if no resident of like basically a first world country um in the west but also certain countries in the middle east and certain countries in asia um if none of those residents can even risk interacting with those dollars they won't uh, right that makes they, sense. they can't um yeah. and so i think to some degree i think if you're a legal or a compliance person and you think those dollars are tainted, you have to quit because they're paying you. Oh, interesting. So that that's an interesting point that basically you, if you don't quit and you, when you find out that you're essentially committing, you're, you're, you're committing a crime essentially. Well, yeah. And also you're providing economic value too. So it's two ways. Right. Interesting. Um, that's not good. I don't, I don't know <laughs> that's why just, just, you know, that's the worst case scenario. Obviously I have absolutely no, view on what whether or not that's happening here but if it does it, it's it's exactly what eric said yeah i i think i think at this point we just have to wait for that for the doj announcement it, it seems like in light of everything that's happened and the timing of, of the legal team leaving that that announcement is probably imminent it's coming like in a matter of days or weeks um so whatever they announce there will, will give us some indication of what we're dealing with here
That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's not great. And I will say, uh, here, okay, here's my question about this. I think in the whatever, the last six months, you would have said if Binance falls, we're all completely fucked. Are, if this does happen, are we completely fucked? Or is there, in the crypto world, let's take all the NFT stuff out of it, in the crypto world, along with, you know, BlackRock's now look like, you know, the ETF is going to go through. In the crypto world, is there enough like kind of momentum and upswing around crypto that could survive something like this? Or do we feel like this is another, you know, FTX style, or maybe not FTX in the same way, because obviously FTX had massive fraud, and I'm not sure how much exists here, but is this another black swan? <laughs> are we are we going to be entering black swan territory, and are we going to be in trouble if this is the case, or can we survive this as more of a speed bump? I actually think it's really, really um, bullish because mm. you know finance has always been such an integral part to just the entire ecosystem. Um, but because because of their history, like there there's always going to be this legal regulatory, you know overhang attached to them and i think that makes makes institutions uncomfortable so you know in a situation where let's say like binance does get the platform and people take their money off the exchange well like theoretically those assets and funds assuming they're all there um which you know i i think like i think our going assumptions that they still are will just cycle into other more compliant exchanges or they'll cycle those assets will cycle on chain Right. And then that's when, you know, in conjunction with the BlackRock ETF, you start to have regulatorily compliant institutions step in and start to take the reins as, as kind of new custodians who can actually navigate the framework and, and do things legally. Um, and that, that, like, you know, Binance imploding was always kind of the last piece of FUD. And so if you, if you unwind that, I think in an orderly way where there's, there's people on the other end to take the reins. We're gonna do a right. better job. I can't like I don't understand why that wouldn't be like a huge long term plus to just the entire entire you know, crypto world. Okay, I have a new question here, which is gonna sound insane, but now that I just put my my two and two together, okay, maybe there's a world where what's happening, and I think I can't remember Grant. I think it was you who said like V one NFT founders are all not great. I mean, maybe it was Sadie. Um, Maybe it's just V1 crypto founders have not been great. And what we're waiting for is the next generation of these people. And I just, who's that NFT person, right? That's the other question is like, not, you know, are, is there and are there going to be opportunities for like legitimately interesting real people to come in and found projects in the same way that like, now granted, Black, BlackRock is BlackRock and they're doing financial services things. But I, I, it's an interesting idea that like this is like the crypto world in some way kind of growing up through the bullshitters and through the people that kind of just half-ass their way through stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's an interesting thought in general for me to think about this idea of like, you know, if that's bullish for you, Eric, like, I would imagine that ultimately there will people that will come into the NFT space and do a, a similar thing for the NFT space, right? To be the kind of person you would hope that would come into it. Monkey, it, it's you. Like, <laughs> give me a break. I'm point. not doing that ever again. I'm no, done. But you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah, yeah, whole yeah. point of being here now is that it's us. It's not right. somebody right, right, who's right. going to come in. It's right. everyone who's here. And like, right. that's kind of the whole thesis. So when Eric's bullish, it's because like, it's the moment. I think that right. that is, that is the opportunity that a lot of people wish they had positioned themselves for in the future. Right, right. right. When you say it's me, Sadie, are you saying that I should launch a uh, sheet fighter too? And it should be like uh, animals and demons as the PFPs? Does that sound like a good plan? I'm saying that I heard you say if you were in the room with the Azuki team, you would have done it better. So yeah, yeah, that's actually we actually have that on record. You're giving old men with white beards holders the the priority here, right? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. In fact, I here's the funny thing: there's a little bit of inside alpha to all those you know thousands and actually whatever hundred people who own old men with white beards. 
I do have something I'm working on and it's taken me forever, but I will release it eventually. So it will come out eventually. I just have to, I have to get my other four podcasts off the ground. Attention to our three listeners. Please sweep the floor of old time with white beards. What is it at right now? I'm actually curious because it was holding up pretty well. Um, Here, I'm going to just look real fast while we're here. Um, He's pretending he doesn't know exactly what the floor is. It's not bad. 0.069 for a free mint. That's not too bad. You got to, you can't can't argue with that as a free mint and it, it, you know, did fine. And there's a grand total of no bid liquidity on Blur, which according to NFT experts, it's really, really (laughs) bullish. So please. That's very bullish. By the way, I had this conversation earlier today. If you, you know, for those of you who, we can, we can actually, let's let's move on to the Blur combo because I had an interesting conversation today on my other podcast where Carly, Riley, and Zeneca and I were talking about the Blur thing. And we kind of got, I, I, we kind of got into it a little bit. Carly and I disagree on the Blur thing. I think my take, and I think we probably mostly agree with this, is that like, there's, there's a lot of blame going around about Blur right now being the people that like tank the market, which to me just feels ridiculous. It's like blaming the knife for for you know stabbing somebody in a way um and i i think that my argument in general the bigger larger argument is that it's it's demand it's supply and demand and that like there's a whole plethora of problems around this stuff but i think that it's an interesting thing to see blur kind of get demonized in a lot of ways because it, it what i keep thinking is it feels like it's all people's psychological bullshit coming out in this time that makes them because they're already feeling so bad. Now, granted, I will say, you know, blur it makes the market more liquid and you can go down and you can go up faster because you can get access to things and you can and you can sell and buy things. And, and the bidding incentivizes people to 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 buy and sell, which is, I think, a good thing. But in the down markets, like, sure, can it can it? possibly um speed up a down cycle conceivably but i i do want to uh, you know i grant i know you're an investor but i'm kind of curious as to your take on why do you think everybody's blaming blur right now like why why did this moment come around like right now that it's blur's fault that all our bags are down because the system is too complicated for the average smooth brain to understand. And so, you know, the new kid oh, on the block has to be... Because all of our bags are down. That's yeah. that's the short I will say, like, you know, the team's execution, particularly around some communications recently, haven't been perfect. Uh, but the right one means yeah. the main, main culprit for why, you know, we are where we are, right? And, you know, there's yeah a whole host of, like, different threads that could go down. But I think if among them was this who basically failed to build like an EVM wallet tracker, which is just a joke because there's so much fucking EMF on that particular segment of the market. Uh, and now he's pivoted to becoming like a BTC maxi of some sort. But anyways, he posted an article about how Blur was killing the market. And th- I think the main hypocrisy here is, A, if you think any any piece of this asset sector has like any type of the effect or is truly a valued asset then none of this shit matters so why are you whinging about it and secondly why right. are you so sacrosanct about who is providing liquidity to the to this sector like yes there are medbotters and DeFi farmers who are forming the ecosystem and, and providing liquidity for your jpegs but why is it so evil that they are the ones doing it instead of you know the nft whales that you worship and isn't it you know a sign that things are bad they don't actually value your board ape at 150 ETH, right? That they stopped buying there and were selling there. Like it just the arguments in chief don't make sense to me, which is why like I don't even bother responding half the time. I, you should at this point like you should be forced to take a course on liquidity provisioning before, before <laughs> you trade any JPEGs. I, I it's just it, it's just like they're blaming the marketplace, but but the reality is is when price goes down, it's because large holders are selling and price didn't go down as much as before because large holders couldn't sell because there was no liquidity out there so they were trapped right like imagine imagine a shit coin that had a 50 million dollar market cap and a 500k lp and you yeah. held five percent of this five like you can't sell like there's no way out so you have to hold and pretend everything is good you know even though you so very yeah. very badly want to sell Right, and now a Taiwanese dude by the name of Machi comes, puts ten million dollars in the pool, and you can get out. Right, so what are you gonna do? You're gonna walk. 
right? That's exactly what an OSF and Mandel did. And that's what a lot of large holders started doing, right? And that that wasn't, it's just, you know, it's, it, it, these are shit coins with pictures. And so use the shit coin analogy. This is just people drop money into the liquidity pool. So you're going to take the real money and you're going to leave them with the token. Um, and that's that's what happens here, right? And, and so, again, like, I feel like we're talking in circles because it just goes back to, like, projects aren't very good. So no one wants to hold them. And we're not attracting outside people. And so, so yeah, you can blame the marketplace for facilitating what is like basically an exit for, for longtime holders that have held like through a lot and, and probably honestly deserve to exit. Um, or you, you, you know, you can just kind of look at like the problems of the space and actually hold project creators accountable because, because at the end of the day, Blur is a marketplace. It can only facilitate transactions. It, it cannot make new projects. I would yeah. say there's there's also a financial literacy component to this. So in the context of like a typical market, you have bids and ask, and the price is the average of the highest bid and the lowest ask. The way that I blame OpenSea for this problem far more than I blame Blur because they developed a floor place price paradigm, right, which made everyone think that the floor was support, was but real. it was really right. resistance, right? right? And so you had a market that was totally supply-driven, totally one-sided, whereas most markets are supply and demand-driven. So what happened mm. was that we just repriced the market to be more in line with the way markets are conventionally priced by creating a, a bid. <laughs> um, and, and so what happened was a, a repricing that didn't, it, it was just a, it was a repricing in people's perceptions, but it wasn't a repricing in reality. The price was the price. It, it was just that people were anchored to a floor price that was an elevated price. Let me ask a question to to both you, Sadie, and to Eric, and, and Graham, feel free to weigh on this too. But okay, so part of my argument of this thing, and I, I feel like again, I, as I've mentioned this podcast many times, I am an English major, not a financial, not a financial genius in the slightest, probably a financial moron. So um, my question is, in a in a true bull market, when prices are going up and say, let's say Blur existed in the summer or the late summer of 2021 when everything was going crazy, would Blur have ostensibly, if demand was accelerated at a significant level, would is there a world where Blur could bring prices up rather than down? I, I assume there is, correct? Or am I crazy? No. The, no okay. What Blur did was just normalize um, the way we think about the pricing of NFTs in the context of how we think about pricing of fungible tokens. So Blur adding the bid would have always brought prices down, but the trajectory, right? So this is a one-time repricing to put NFTs in line with how we price all other financial assets. Okay. Um, but the trajectory would have been the trajectory of the market cyclical. And so they're, they're actually two unrelated phenomena. Um, at least in my view, Eric and Eric and Grant should chime in, but... I mean, it's, it's time and place, right? It's just demand's negative right now. So yeah. prices are going to go down. Um, and when demand actually grows, um, you know, Blur, I, I would argue, probably would push prices higher than, than where we would be with only OpenSea simply because they enable, you know, they enable more seamless leverage looking at NFTs. Right. So, right. so that, that always, obviously, on the way up makes things super nice uh, on the way down as we saw last week it's very very painful yeah i think the same way that if you had like a coinbase that was trade you're trading eth on a you know centralized exchange and you took away the bid like obviously the ask would be higher right right that so makes this sense. this was just the opposite right Okay, that's fair. Um, I mean, anyway, I think it's going to be. I, I honestly, my whole take on this is it's psychological. People, I think, I think it's, I think it's, it's boogeyman. It's looking for someone to blame. And again, <laughs> I hate to use the metaphor. It's not guns that kill people. I kill people. But like, it's kind of that, right? Like, it's kind of this idea that you need everybody needs to look at themselves in the mirror before they start blaming a marketplace for the reason why the bags are down and and i think the hard thing the hard thing in this space is there are a lot of people that want to believe the world that that was 2021 and early 2022 is just where we get to live forever and clearly right now the majority of the mainstream world has moved on from that place so we're living in a in a very different world 
Yeah, I, and I, what I will say is like, look, the liquidity provisioning on Blur is far from perfect, right? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a definitely a work in progress, and I think you know they're trying to address some of the major issues with this recent update of trade bidding, because you you basically had like you were too bottom heavy in the liquidity being all on the floor, and there was no liquidity kind of in between, and that just caused like collapse and heavy devaluation of mid rares. Um, and I think now they're trying to distribute that liquidity more evenly. Um, and it, it actually like, I think, I think again, like it, yeah, I think that's a, that's net net should be a positive development over time because it, it just gets us closer to the conventional marketplaces that Sadie was talking about. Um, and I think it also just kind of makes it, you know, it, 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 it makes it, it adds that layer of complexity that you, you needed for liquidity to be within the right spots. Right. Cause, cause I think right. right now, like one of the bigger complaints for a lot of traders is like, Hey, like I have like a semi rare or a grail, like, yeah, blur is great if I want to just dump it into a floor price and take a big haircut. But like, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the same situation. Um, right. and so, so I think this starts to bridge that a little bit and it just, you know, makes it a little harder to game the airdrop farming system, but just by like pumping a bunch of bits in at the floor and kind of taking haircuts. And now, you know, market wannabe market makers have to be a little more more intelligent and probably have to use a lot more automation in terms of how like come where they provide liquidity. And that's that's again, that's like that's that's where we need to be for like, you know, financialized marketplaces to, to function. Like you need just yeah. more advancement on your, your liquidity provision. And we're just not there yet. There's also I think like, we can call nostalgia what it is, right? Like, the, the last cycle wasn't perfect. Like, we had fucking, I'm just thinking back, like, the morons from the Full Send podcast, like, do, like, a 10k <laughs> times 2 ETH min, and obviously dozens and dozens of examples after that, right? Like, when a market yeah. and its underlying infrastructure becomes more efficient and the participants also level up in terms of intelligence and hopefully knock on wood here, uh, financial literacy, like it just forces the creators to level up as well, right? So either we get yeah, more yeah. shit that's truly culturally and and, and in other ways uh, like groundbreaking or the space is dead, right? Like I think we, we just get our answer faster and I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I would say to follow up on that, the one argument I still kind of think that there's some merit to, and I, I don't put this on Blur's feet and that but i do think i know i agree i think you and i disagree on this i think the royalties conversation as as bad as it was for traders really when that whole thing blew up i think it changed the dynamic of how creative people saw the marketplace and saw the product that they could make and i'm not saying that there's an answer to it because i don't know what the answer is but i can tell you my personal sense as a creative person when I saw that blow up is I was very bummed. I understood why it blew up. I understood like what the purpose and trading traders wanted. But I think this is where you get to the heart of what NFTs are is this weird combination of creative product and financialization. And like in the past, those two things have not gone together very well often unless they are... You know, I guess the thing you can think of like in, in buying records or in buying movies, but there are often like, you know, business people who run companies that distribute artist products in those situations. And that's a really interesting way to think about whether or not, you know, the creatives are the ones that are going to be best served trying to be these business people. I don't know. This is, it's a, it's a I think you're right though. I think we're going to find out very soon if this is a reasonable thing to consider going forward. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts. Anybody, anybody have any last thoughts before we wrap up here? I, I was just going to say, like, through this royalty debate, um, you didn't really, like, most of the artists actually just kind of kept chugging along, you know, and, and some of the biggest um, opponents of the OpenSea registry filter were actually very, very prominent art blocks artists. So... So look at who's complaining and look at who's actually doing the work. And oh no! I, I by the way, I'm not. I'm not. It's really instructive. I think once this whole thing got, I think once the idea of royalties became debatable, it was over. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't mean that in a way. I, I think it was probably like the same thing that we were talking about before. It was probably like 2021, 2022 vibes. But 
I think the easiest argument to make to say, I don't know, let's pick a, let's pick somebody out in the world like uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino. That's a bad example because he did do an NFT that wasn't very good. Uh, some creative person, Wes Anderson or whatever, an interesting argument to make to Wes Anderson or to like kind of any mainstream artist would be like, hey, there's this really cool way that you can get paid for your work in perpetuity because this thing exists and every time it sells, you get a certain percentage of it. It's a very that that was like this interesting thing where the artist felt like a sense of ownership over the long form owning and creation of something. It could feel like he was he or she or they was going to get paid throughout the lifetime of the thing they made, and that is something that has never really happened across any art, right? And that was an interesting, really fascinating thing, and I think it's just gone. And and to me. You could sell that to people who were creatives and you could say like, look at this really cool thing. Come bring your talents here. And now what you're in the business of is like, you got to make a product, you sell it, and then that's it. Or or you you sell it and you have to figure out a subscription model or all this other stuff. I don't think there's an answer to this, but my feeling is it was just an interesting thing that existed to bring creative people into the space and it, and it doesn't anymore, which just kind of bums me out. I mean, we, we, we can agree to disagree on this, but I, I don't think it just necessarily kills royalties. I, I think I think this is just a market reflex of, of you know when people are willing to tolerate royalties and when they're not. Well, so you think that when the market steams back, that royalties will be a thing that people will be able to implement? I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a market function. I think it's a it's a creator function. I think when when artists and creators do go into space and they create things that people find meaningful. Um, I I think there will be ways to to enforce royalties either by the smart contract or basically socially, um, you know, because because while this conversation has gone on, like seeing art trade hands, right? Like the art world did not collapse in the in the wake of this this kind of new liquidity paradigm. Um, it, it it existed within like its own pocket, and I think it's just because within like those circles, there's actually a pretty broad like social contract in terms of between collectors and, and artists um, right. and that, I, 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 I think I think that's a that's a really really key part of it right whereas like you know we talk about like cartoon PFP projects where all of the incentives on both ends are totally mercenary but I guess my question is imagine a world where there's a project which is really interesting utility-based project or something and you know, there is a thought where if you found a way, and, and again, this is where it gets back to that same sort of thing. It's art versus pieces, financial, financialization. It's right. Like, how do you keep people? I mean, everybody has their own thoughts on the Goblin Town Mint, right? But like, well, or, or on Goblin Town as a project. But like, what was really interesting about Goblin Town was that it was free and they knew that they could have this royalties mechanic to be like the thing that paid for them. Now, I don't know what they did with their money. They've done other stuff with it, but like, that brought an interesting project to the forefront that was allowed to kind of like people to access and the royalties became a thing that was able them to keep creating on the back end. Um, I mean, I know what you're saying too, Eric, I, I understand that like, you know, it depends on what the artist's sort of scenario is, but I also just think from a standpoint of being creative people, there are opportunities that were existent in the world of royalties where, in fact, the interesting thing with royalties is like royalties is a little bit better even than having to, if you mint something up front, if you pay, if somebody has to pay for something to mint, then you are in the business of, as a holder or as a collector, you're saying, I'm giving you money because I trust you. What if you don't know what the fucking people are? You don't trust them. If you mint something for free and then over time, the project grows and the, they make their money because of royalties rather than it has to be another drop or it has to be something else. I don't know. I just keep thinking that the royalties it, it is something that felt unique and felt like there was an ongoing thing that could be something. And and maybe that's the point is that you're making is there's a world where we will figure out a way to do royalties and there can be something going forward. It just feels like it's super broken in that way right now. And I'm just not sure where we go forward. Yeah, I, I think the point that Eric's making is that royalties never broke except for the people that took advantage of them in the first place, right? So the people you're advocating for right now are the people who have made the most money off the space, right? People who are creating like some half-assed goblin PFP 
right? And they're breaking in millions. The artists, the genuine artists, people are selling their shit at Sotheby's. They always had royalties and they will because it's a social construct. I will, by the way, but but Sadie, I'll disagree 100% with you. And I think only that I believe there's a, an art to the, and you can think what you think about the Goblin Town art, the actual art, but there is an art to what they did and what they've created. And it isn't just physical art. This is what I think I'm getting at is the sense that like, the Wes Andersons of the world may not come and be a painter and sell painting an artist like that. Like that is the, the high end art world. I think what I am more interested in, which was interesting and what Goblet Town gets to the heart of is not about the art. It's about the experience that was created. But that experience that was created was predicated on a promise of value and people got fucking burned. Right. No, and but they didn't. So much value was it? Exited it was free in the form was there, of royalties. Was there a promise of value to that? Like people who yeah, bought it course. after the fact. People bought after the fact, right? Like people wanted to be a part of the community, and the vast amount of value that has exited the space through royalties meant that most buyers got wrecked. You you can't play the free card. I, I think I think that's that's where I have to push back on a little bit because if your 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 mechanism is that it's free and you enforce a royalty. Your only monetization lever is speculation on the back end on the assumption that somebody else is going to come in and pay for it. Okay, well, hold on yeah. one second. What, what, but wait a second. Okay, let's, uh, first of all, we, I think we should do a much longer conversation on this. And I do have to get back to doing my work because I feel like I fundamentally disagree with all three of you on this. And I knew I would because I think we're just coming at this from a slightly different perspective. Let, let's table this for now because yeah, yeah. I know we have to, Grant has to run to the, to the sphere of doubt space. So, so I think yeah. we can wrap this up, but this is probably like a really good sidecar discussion for a different podcast. Yeah, for sure. And, and by the way, and I want to be clear, like I also understand where y'all are coming from and I'm not coming at this as, and you know that, I'm not coming at this as a, as a royalty maxi. I just have some really interesting thoughts on it. So yeah, let's wrap it up and we'll, and we'll, we'll table it and we'll, we'll get into this next time. Um, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, thanks to Sadie, Eric and Grantland for being here. Um, and we hope you all have a good week, survive whatever comes our way, <laughs> Binance FUD. Uh, uh, maybe we'll get another surprise, uh, uh, in the Azuki world. Something else will happen. Oh, I guess we have, I guess we have the Degods, uh, season three to look forward to. So maybe that will be disappointing as well. And we'll be three for three across the board. And it would be a real blast to see how the NFT market does then. But until then... Bye-bye, y'all. We'll see y'all later. Bye.